John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed Omnibus Addenda, Volume 4. Entry 494.LV2342, Certificate Number 38597, Photomats. We're going way back for yeah. this one. Photomat- All the way back to August. We, yeah, it's been almost six months since we put Photomats in the Omnibus. And you may recall that I, I had called my mom that day to get stories of her day's Working, working in, in, a a, in a parking lot kiosk for Snappy Photo up in <laughs> Edmonds, Washington. Right. And she had a few stories. But what happened to me a, a couple of weeks ago, my parents were over and my mom and dad actually told me a good story about her time working at the Photomats, which I had not put onto the show. Right. Well, you asked her for stories and she didn't... She didn't really oblige. She was like, well, the, the outfit was yeah. rayon. Come on, mom. And... Come on, mom Jennings. But this time, unprompted, she had a very good story, which is that the first time my dad ever asked her out, he was in the, he was driving his Pinto or whatever, and she was working at the photo booth. How hilarious. So she was standing 10 feet above him. <laughs> exactly. Looking down into his car. He, he's very into, apparently, you know, uh-huh. taller women <laughs> glowering down at you in stiletto heels like Julianne Moore and Big Lebowski. And so what? Well, how did it how did it all transpire? Well, he pulled up, and they had I don't know. They were kind of vaguely aware of each other from maybe same high school and maybe like nearby church congregations, but not the same services or something. They both grew up in Edmonds. They did, and their families knew each other, uh-huh. but they had never hung out. So you know, so he says, is "Hey, that, is that what they say in the Latter Day Saints? Hung out, hung out, hung out where?" <laughs> <laughs> I asked naively, not understanding what that meant. Well, they just never spent any time. What are together. you hanging out? They had friends yeah. in common, but like no actual FaceTime. Right. And so he said, "Hi, hi, I'm Ken. I'm back." She's like, "Yeah, I remember you." And he asked her if she wanted to go to. I just realized I don't know what the first date was. Uh, I think, uh, ultimate frisbee competition <laughs> which did not exist at the time uh, well watching i think it's a movie submarine watching <laughs> ice skating <laughs> uh i think they were going to go to a movie and but a lot and and they were chatting and she was you know happy to have somebody to talk to she put down her book and uh whatever she's reading her what's what's era appropriate 
uh, James, Naked Came the Stranger. James Harriet Veterinary Novels. Is that, <laughs> is that about right? Anyway, uh, people come up behind him. So my dad keeps having to pull around. Oh. She'll, she'll actually take the photos, and then he'll just pull back into line behind her. How romantic. So he spends the afternoon driving around her photo booth. Oh, I understand why she picked him. It's a real, it's a mating dance yeah, in, a, in a parking lot. By the, by the third time, they must have been really giggling. I, and I, it, what a funny scenario. I can't believe I haven't seen this as a meet cute in a movie. Yeah. But without it, I would not have existed. The whole omnibus now, or at least you would be doing the show with uh, Jason some, Finn, the drummer from Presidents of the United right, States of America. Some other, uh, some other dope. And I just happen to be your dope. You are the product of a photo booth. And I don't want to make, I don't say it that way because it would sound like I was conceived in the booth. Of course. And I don't want to ponder that. No, no, no. I mean, I probably was. I almost certainly was. Conceived in the booth. Yes. But uh-huh. I don't want to think about that. No, 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 no. Because in the in the history of the Jenningses, your mother and father both have only kissed one another. They've never like kissed anyone else. And so that first kiss is probably how, it was, I mean, that's how Mormons made, It was right? just parth- parthenogenesis. <laughs> they went to see Barbara Streisand and Hello Dolly together, sat a seat apart, <laughs> and nine months later, I was born. <laughs> Entry 767.jb2415, certificate number 29692, the Max Headroom Intrusion. This was a popular entry, but uh, one thing that you, this must have just been as a side note, and I can't remember why this came up, but you mentioned your disappointment or maybe your daughter's disappointment that the Studio Ghibli movies, the, the Miyazaki animation, delightful, whimsical children's animation, was not available uh, to American television. Soul-crushing that this isn't a thing that you can watch. And yet, between the time we recorded that entry and two months later when it came out, I think HBO Max had mm-hmm. announced that they were going to start, uh, they were going to be streaming the Ghibli movies when their service comes up. Well, that's exciting. And Although that's not yet available. Is that right? No. And in other parts of the world, it'll be Netflix everywhere, but maybe U.S., Canada, and Japan. Netflix now has the rights. And they're now for sale. The, the, the digital copies of the movies are now for sale in wherever you movies are bought and sold. I, I, still get, I still get DVDs from a video store, so I'm the wrong one to ask. Well, you know, I've, I've played a little dumb here, but in fact, uh, the co-host of one of my other shows, Roderick on the Line, um, I... Uh, a bon vivant by the name of Merlin Mann. Merlin. Hi, Merlin. Uh, Merlin uh, knew that I, I cared about these movies and bought them for me as a gift on iTunes. Oh. Where they still await me. I have yet to download them because- Did this I'm happen very recently? My, just, my impression is they just appeared on iTunes. Just, just um, uh, I was at Sketchfest with Merlin last week, and um, and he he, after our show- Right there in front of me, um, sent me the um, sent me the. That's very in keeping for, for Merlin to uh, to give a gift for, that does not require him to leave the house. It was great. A, he did a virtual gift. He just went. Uh, he went bleep bloop, and there it was. So this had happened. So the announcement about HBO Max was made right before the entry came out. So of course we had hundreds of uh, present futurelings. Right future present links, whatever we call them, telling us, oh, no, 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 they are available, yeah, John. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that nice when that happens? I think Darren may have been the first. But, I have uh, the email right here. 
Oh, it's a, there's a redeem now component, but it's really he just sent me my neighbor Totoro. He didn't send me the whole oh, come on, package, which he said he was going to do. So anyway, that's but so that much is a strong. Do you, do you enjoy Totoro? What are your what well, are your go to Miyazaki the, movies? The first time I saw uh, Totoro, it was on a VHS tape. Me too. At a house party with that awful dub. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I think it was long enough ago that we were smoking pot and smoking cigarettes and watching it as a. Um, as like a as a head movie? Were yeah, guys, it was. It was check a head movie. Get out. The cat is a bus or maybe the bus is a cat? One of the people one of the people in in my group at the time was like a uh you know, one of those sophisticated uh manga people. And not Was he sneering cuz you guys were not watching? No, he's the one that brought it. Oh, I thought he was going to say cuz nowadays, you know, that's the entry level stuff that kids watch, but what you need to see is Season six of right. uh, Angel Fanfare, Potent Moon. No, this was a long time ago. I think he was the one that showed us Shakira, too. Or Akira. I'm sorry. He was the one that showed he us showed Akira. He showed us Shakira. He was like, now, a lot of you people think <laughs> hips lie. But if you were to watch this, you would see that, in fact, they do not lie. But, you know, Akira made a big impact on us. That was, I mean, if I when I watch Akira now or when I see it, I'm like, what a big, like, not very good thing you th- this you is. You think it's to put on? You think the emperor has no clothes? <laughs> but at the time, I, I I was super impressed by it. I have a soft spot for that old VHS dub of My Neighbor Totoro because it has um, it's less faithful to the Japanese, but it has kind of funny lines that yeah. that are not, you know, they, they kind of added jokes. Like there's a part near the end where they're looking for the little, the little girl has disappeared mm-hmm. and it's kind of, it's what provides anything close to a climax. That movie is a very gentle movie of just, Children looking at tadpoles and stomping in mud puddles. Mm-hmm. I mean, the secret of Miyazaki is that he really understands childhood. Pixar makes movies for grown-ups based on a grown-up's impression of childhood. You know, so it's all movies about your kids growing up and leaving you. Right. Whereas Miyazaki remembers what it's like to be a kid and just to stare into a mud puddle for 20 minutes. Um, but at the end, there's a little, there's a, a bit of suspense when the daughter goes missing and there's a scene where they're looking for her, and they ask uh, you know, an old Japanese man by the side of the road if, if they've seen May. And in the old VHS dub, the guy says, a lot of people come by here, but I don't see them, which makes no sense whatsoever. A lot right. of people come. And then he says, are you sure she's your sister? <laughs> so it's just this crazy old man gets added to the movie, says these two non sequiturs, and then disappears. <laughs> and I've always loved it. But then I watch the Disney dub, and it turns out he's, he just says you know something... Not at all interesting. I haven't seen her. Good luck or whatever. Oh, bummer. So I miss kind of take the, all the fun out of it. I miss the crazy VHS one. Yeah. Is Totoro your favorite? Uh, you know, I I'm very much looking forward to watching them all again because I think uh, as I as I suggested, I may have been stoned, <laughs> and so it all they all kind of blend together. I know that they're a little spooky and they're a little fanciful, but I don't have a strong recollection of the plots or the um, or really anything about them. They do kind of blur together because the aesthetic yeah. is very much the same. Yeah, but I'm sure my little girl will love them. I like Kiki's Delivery Service. Yes. It's also an old timey one. A, I've heard that's one of the good ones. It's in kind of a tintiny pan-European city, which is fun. But the thing I like about it is it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a villain. It, it barely has conflict. Uh-huh. The conflict is within this girl trying to learn what she's actually like because she's 12 and she's a witch and it turns out her only skill is flying on a broom. So she starts a delivery service, which is a fun idea. 
Uh, she's, she becomes like a courier. She can't shoot lightning f- from her fingers or do any other kind the, of spells? And, and all the other witches can. They can do apothecary stuff or they can, you know, they can cast spells and do magic and make their team win the pennant. And all she can do is fly. And so the movie is just her kind of, just her quiet little adventures coming to terms with that. And there's no conflict or villain. This will be good for my daughter because she, I think, would like to be a witch and have powers. And so this will be kind of a gradual come down like, oh, you know, there are witches and they can only do one thing. Just be a working class witch. Yeah. And then gradually she'll learn that she's not a witch. This took me years. To figure out that you didn't have powers? Oh, I wanted powers so badly. I would sit and and try and conjure things. I would stare at the, sit at the breakfast table and stare at a glass of orange juice trying to knock it off with my mind. Were you a Uri Geller type and trying to burn, uh, bend spoons? It must have been a Luke Skywalker influence because yeah. I did. I wasn't old enough to stay up for the Tonight Show. Yeah. But I just thought, maybe this can't happen. This probably can't happen. But if there's a tiny chance, oh boy. For, like, what a what a trick I would have. For me, it was Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I, the, the devil made you do it. Yeah, that's right. I realized that if I could conjure anything, one little spark of lightning or a tiny little orb, something... Uh, I would be the hit of uh, seventh grade. So I would walk home and I would just be like, you're not wrong. Come on. Come on. You telling me I can't do anything. I'm so bummed. I mean, maybe the seventh graders would just hate the kid that could do magic. Oh yeah. They were going to hate me no matter what. He's I did. so extra. He conjured a genie in fourth period again. I also really wanted a, uh, a Rolls Royce silver spur, but one that was appropriately scaled for my size. So I wanted like a three quarter <laughs> scale. Like it's the size of a big wheel. Yeah, or, uh, and I would, and I would, I, I really honestly thought that it would be so cool if I have a, if I had a seventh grade sized car <laughs> that I would drive around on the bike trails. <laughs> well, we don't know if that's not true because you've never had one. Maybe that would have been a game changer. What a nerd! Well, I, I was. I'm I'm in the perfect opportunity. I still have a 13 year old kid. Right. I could conceivably sink my game show winnings into a three quarter scale. Uh, what did you want? A silver Phantom Rolls Royce? Yeah, or just have the, have the Rolls Royce company build a, a three quarter scale car at the expense of all your game show money. You could see if uh, see if it uh, if it makes her the coolest kid. My son used to ask me if uh, like Bill Gates and all these. You know, we live in Seattle, so the kids are very billionaire savvy, right. and kids are, as I've said before, are always very materialistic because they're, yeah. they're they're correct. They right. that would change their lives if they had money, and they don't because they're kids. Right. Uh, and he always wanted to know, like, wow, what is, do you think Bill Gates has a solid gold car? Like, he was just imagining a car, but everything's made of gold. The doors are made of gold. The ashtrays are made of gold. Right. And that, that was all his imagination could conceive of what he would do if he had a billion dollars. And in fact, Bill Gates drives a Subaru Outback. <laughs> a very disappointing Audi, right. I'm sure. Although, although he's, he probably has four black Suburbans that are, like, uh, like a hundred feet away in every direction. Cars. Yeah. <laughs> and he's there in his outback with a coexist sticker on the back. Entry 220.IS0108. Certificate number 31503. The Christmas Pickle. So this, in this uh, episode, we talked about kind of an, the humor that could come from having an unusual addition to the familiar Christmas iconography of evergreens and stars and uh, reindeer. Right. Popcorn strings and cranberry sauce. There's some humor that comes in adding something. Like uh, a pickle. Yeah, something uh, 
atypical. Right. Or uh, like an Easter egg would be funny. Like, okay. And what would the Easter egg be? An Easter egg. Oh, the Easter egg here is, is, just, an, is here, an Easter egg. Here it is. It's an Easter egg. Or, you know, to have an Easter egg hunt around the Christmas tree, <laughs> that's as good as a Christmas pickle. So a listener named Justine sent to us physical examples of a beloved Spanish Christmas tradition that I remembered vaguely. I, It's mostly from uh, parts of Spain I did not live. You were it, in Spain a long time. I lived in Madrid for two years. This is a, mostly a, a, Catal- a Catalonian and, and Valencian Oh, tradition. look at them. They are dressed like uh, pilgrims to San Sebastian. Yeah, they've got the little red, the red hats, that, the red uh, scarf, the Phrygi- yeah. Phrygian red Phrygian cap and some kind of a cummerbund. Or, uh, yeah, they're, they're on their way to Pamplona. But this is called the Caganer. Nice catch. These are called the Caganer. Oh, look at them. Oh, wait a minute. He has his pants down. Not just his pants down, but... His Oh, he's made a poop. A giant pile of poop behind these little figurines. Why is he doing that? This is the Caganer or pooper, which is a, a Catalonian peasant that in, in nativity scenes in northern Spain is placed lovingly into the scene of the of the holy birth. They're there uh they're there in in uh the year zero. Mary, Mary and Joseph at the stable in year zero. And then this character from uh, the 19th century is has appeared and is taking a poop. This tradition, nobody knows the origin of this, but it's been an Iberian thing for hundreds of years. Uh, there's some speculation that maybe it's a kind of fertility symbol. Although, poop? poop? Well, yes. It, you know... M- Fer- manure does fertilize things. I see. But you've got a stable full of animals. Right. It seems like a cow patty would be maybe a better thing than sure. just some guy showing up and pulling down his pants in front of baby Jesus. Everybody's seen a nativity scene. There's sheep there. There's all kinds of am- animals. I wonder if it could represent – there's some speculation that it represents kind of the um, the topsy-turvy nature of – of this part, this message of Christianity, which is everybody's expecting a big conquering figure to come, and instead it's just this guy from a stable that nobody likes, right. who has just a really bad, a rough life. So here you have, you know, what better symbol than, than a, this, a Basque pooping? A, a, a ba- doesn't that sum up the whole Christian gospel to you? A, a Basque pooping on the ground in front of you? I mean, I, I, I I'm staring at this, and it's uh, it's giving me like very strange insight into this is one of the more unusual European uh, head trips. You know, this is better than the, than the, um, than Santa's little black slaves. This is better than, uh, than all of the, the sort of uh, pagan rituals that go along with German Christianity. This is literally a little statue of a boy poop. It's got a butt. It's a, his butt is sticking right out of his pants. I wish he looked a little younger. Like this could be an adult man pooping, and I don't really like. Well, that. he's got sideburns. Yeah, and uh, and you're absolutely right that the poop is like a poop emoji. It's it's, <laughs> it's all it's missing is a smiley face. It's really unusually big. Yeah, compared to maybe that is indication that he's a boy because that's that's a a. a a poop emoji. It's a man-sized a poop under a, under a boy-sized boy. But there's a pickle-like tradition in Catalonia whereby this is hidden somewhere in the nativity or, you know, in the Christmas scene somewhere around the house. And you have to find it. The children have to find, and that's the true spirit of Christmas is the pooping man. Right. Kids love poop. And, and just thank you, Justine. She sent us two of them. Will you, will you be including this in next year's I will. Nativity? I'll sneak it in. And uh, the thing about it is from the front... 
it's not quite clear what this boy is doing. So maybe, yeah, maybe if you, if it'll you can sneak just in there. Back him against the wall of the stable. Yeah. No problem. Huh. Well, everybody poops. Entry 707.DA0414. Certificate number 25458. The Leaf Blower. Boy, there was a lot of commentary on the web about our leaf blower episode. People came after you. They really did. And just as a reminder, this is a show we were not going to do, but your neighbor was blowing leaves and I said, we should record one more show. And you said, what about the leaf blower? Meaning, are you sure we can record a show with that leaf blower? And I thought you meant, what about the leaf blower as a topic? And I said, yes, I love it. And accidentally, leaf blowers got into the omnibus. Right. And there was a lot of consternation about the fact that I think... We didn't mention electric leaf blowers. Which are a thing. Which are a thing. And are quieter. Increasingly a thing. And also I said that lawnmowers had two cycle engines and there were a lot of people who claimed to never have heard of a lawnmower with a two cycle engine. And it seems like many people were, instead of saying, I am too young to know about two stroke push mowers, what they were actually, what they actually said was, those don't exist. Right. And you are bad for having <laughs> suggested that they do. Hard to prove a negative. All lawnmowers are four-cycle engines and always have been. And do you, would you like to issue a retraction? Were you, in fact, wrong, John Roderick? No. Well, I grew up with two-cycle lawnmowers. As did I. And uh, uh, somewhere along the line, and it was long enough ago that you could be a person, you could be like a, a person in adulthood and never... Uh, you, you could never have seen a two-cycle lawnmower. So four-cycle lawnmowers have been around for a long time. Uh, but the, the mowers that I that I grew up with were, um, you added oil to the gas. You had to you had to mix it in first in the right ratio, like yeah. you're some kind of a medieval herbalist and they just to mow your lawn. And they were extremely noisy and smoky and, and uh, troubling. And, you know, we tried to keep our lawnmowers running for a long time. So we were using them a long time past... Well, that's what I was going to say. They, I don't really have a good sense of when that transition happened because, you know, I'm aware in the 80s and well into the 90s of people mixing gas into their or mixing oil into their lawnmower gas. Right. But it's probably because they had a 30-year-old Sears mower <laughs> that was still going, right? Like garages are full of old, old lawnmowers. Right. Well, and you know, my I, I had uh, two Vespas. And one of them had an oil reservoir, and you poured the oil into the reservoir, and you know it added it. But it's a still it's a one one cylinder motor. But my other Vespa, you had to premix the um, the oil in the gas and keep a separate can of premixed fuel. So it is a little bit, I think, of a omnibus generational problem. But I should have specified that there are. Two types of lawnmowers, and these days you'd be hard-pressed to find I, a two-cycle lawnmower. Nobody can even be making those, right? No. I, I mean, I maybe there are, I'm sure there are plenty of old men in my neighborhood that are still right. coaxing their two-cycle lawnmower out in the spring. But what, what if it comes back as a hipster thing? People like to mix things in their cellars now. They like to they like to homebrew and make kombucha, and uh, why wouldn't they like to mix artisanal oil and gas mixtures into their... Uh, throwback lawnmower. Well, I do feel like the the like handlebar mustache crowd could get into two cycle motors. When I was in the um, when I was in Central and Eastern Europe, you know the the Czechs have uh, a kind of old old fashioned motorcycle called the Jawa, 
and they're beautiful. They look like uh, Buck Rogers motorcycles. They're just gorgeous. Uh, they're very low power, you know, sort of putt putt around um, motorcycles, but they're they're really common there in the Czech Republic and used as a as you know a pretty common form of transportation. But the old ones uh, that really look Buck Rogersy. Uh, when I first encountered them, you could get them for 200 bucks. I mean, nobody <laughs> wanted them. They were these old junky things. And I had this idea, you know, I would just fill up a shipping container full of these Jawas, as many as I could pack in there, ship it to Seattle, open a little shop on Broadway, uh, and fix these things up one at a time and sell them to, sell them to hipsters. To dumb hipsters. Now, I think those Jawas are now very expensive because- <sighs> If only you'd done it and held on to them. European hipsters are a thing, and, um, and they have money now where they didn't used to. That could have been your kid's college I right could there. have filled up that shipping container. But I think most hipsters now are also very eco-conscious. Right, and the smoke from the lawnmower would- yeah. In fact, my old Vespa repair guy uh, started putting electric motors in vintage Vespas and selling them as a as a new hipster version. And I was like, but that's the whole point. Vespa is like the person this. behind you should have to smell yeah, Vespa exhaust. Vespa exhaust smells so great. Uh, what if you opened a shipping container and it was actually full of Jawas, like from Star Wars? Hmm. <laughs> Can you imagine a more hipster thing than everyone gets their own little, like, Jawa? But I, I, I'm afraid it would end up feeling colonialist. Right, it would be it would be like slavery. Yeah, you'd have your little house Jawa. Because there is something of the North African desert in the, in the Jawa, and even the sand person outfits and they're small like what would they do around the house they would try to sell you they try to repair your Roomba that's what it would be Uncle O and this Roomba's got a bad motivator yeah you'd you'd set them at little tasks like change all these ungrounded outlets to grounded outlets Jawa (laughs) task Jawa now we also got a note from a listener named Ron who hi Ron hi Ron but he got a little worried because we talked about and I think this is something that probably has happened on Omnibus more than once we talked about the uh, the phenomenon and the weird optics that you can't get away from in Seattle of um, wealthy white people owning homes here and then hiring uh, a bunch of Latino guys to come over with leaf blowers every day. And we didn't specifically say that we were, of course, deeply against all these class and racial distinctions that has led to this divide. Oh, we didn't. Uh, well, I don't know. Did Ron, it sound like we were endorsing it? Ron thought we were in favor of it. Wow. Interesting. Well, you know, the, what's, what complicates it is that the richer, snobbier white people... Uh, they, got, they have Ukrainians. No, what they want to do is take the leaf blowers away from the <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Latino guys and get, put brooms back in And I hands. think that was the uh, dynamic we were talking about. Right. And it wasn't clear that we were, of course, always on the side of the underclass and the dispossessed. Right. And not in podcast. an Al Cap or, um, uh, or John Steinbeck way where we think we're on the side of the underclass and then become old. And it turns out we're just stayed, uh, grouches. I think we continue to be radicals here. I think it's possible. You just referred to two, uh, conservative figures from omnibuses that are not going to come out for about a month. Oh, well, people are going to have to reconcile that. They're going to be so excited when Al Cap and John Steinbeck <laughs> finally show up holding hands and, <laughs> and kicking hippies on the show. The, but, uh, the thing about, uh, the thing about this type of criticism is that it, it is based 
in a misapprehension of the listener and not really in anything we failed to do in the show. And in Ron's case, it was like, and I get that it was tongue in cheek. It's, it's, cons- it's concern trolling. Oh, basically. he's but, concerned that other people, but what if it? others, uh, unlike me, don't grok that you guys really are on the good side. And this is a common criticism for all media now yes. that, that, uh, well, you know, I get that your heart's in the right place, but right. you still maybe should not have mentioned. And I, just, I read a review of The Onimus not long ago that said that Ken is a bad feminist and says something awful about women in every show. Oh, is that why you've been so conspicuously woke lately? You've no. been driving me crazy with like, your wokeness. I feel like I'm already like that. Yeah. And yet, no matter what I do, I got like, Ken hates women. And not only hates women, but he hates them in every show. Are which, you sure which you're not take some doing. doubling down on wokeness lately? I've been noticing a lot of... A lot of flag flying. No, that's just, that's where my heart is, Jim. I know, I know, it's true. You are, you are one of the good ones. Let, let me say that our assumption in the production of this show is that all of our listeners are smart and savvy. Right, so you don't have to say the racist practice I just mentioned, of course, it goes without saying, is bad. Right. Every media is, uh, I think a lot of people in independent media especially, feel pressured by this kind of comment to dumb their content down in order to appease people who are afraid that the lowest common denominator is going to set the tone for everything. And that does happen. It does. People will say, hey, I heard you mention a thing. I also know that thing is racist. Right. Now I'm mad and I'm writing a letter. But we are... We are always operating on the presumption that dumbing the thing down is the worst crime. And if you are... It's not the worst crime. It is the worst crime. Is murder second? Oh, I see. It is worse than... than, uh, Avoiding the topic or or lampshading the... That's right. The sensitive approach to the topic. We're going to give you the the story as though we were talking to one another. Um, And I assume when talking to Ken that he understands racism is bad. And so I don't need to say every time that Ken needs to check his privilege. I don't need to say every time that Ken is white. I don't need to specify uh, these things. I'm assuming our listeners are are just as smart as Ken. What if we record a bunch of, like, just loop some wild lines where we're like, of course, we now know that practice to be wrong. That's right. Or, you know, uh, or it'll just be like John saying, racism is bad. Yeah. You and can then, say every time, like, I know I'm white and I apologize. I, <laughs> and then we'll just have Mark drop those in. Like, if he's ever watching the show and he ever goes, Ooh. you know, if he ever kind of inhales through his teeth very quickly, he, he, knows, just, it's, he knows it's time to dr- drop in a little racism. As we all know, racism is bad. Yeah, just reach up and pull down a cart that has <laughs> one of these loops on it. In case of emergency, <laughs> break glass. Entry 637.EZ1704, certificate number 38938, induced demand. We got good response to this show about traffic and urban planning. Maybe the first time we've ever divin into that kind of a thing. It does seem that there are, uh, that in the omnibus listenership in the futurelings and in the future presentlings and in the present futurelings, uh, there are a lot of urbanists and uh, traffic planners and, and planners in general. Because it's the kind of thing where you're surrounded every day by the problem. And if you're a smart, you're thinking, there's got to be a better way. Come on. You, as you're sitting in traffic, your brain is humming about how how the system should work. Right. Who synced up these traffic lights? Exactly. Or in the Seattle case, who put 
an on-ramp on the right, and one mile later, an off-ramp on the left of six lanes of highway. Right before downtown. Yeah. Who put a stop sign in front of this roundabout? Do, do, do we need this? And we got some interesting notes. Uh, Andrew pointed out that the pheno- we we I said that you know induced demand is now being recognized as a phenomenon because it serves the urbanist's purpose, but it's hard to think of other cases where it works as an economic law. And he pointed out there's a IT case, a processor speed. Oh, as the processors get faster and faster, you don't notice it as much just because the operating systems, et cetera, that run on them get more and more bloated. Of course. So, you know, you're, you're, you put a new, you put a, you get a brand new phone, but then iOS is three times the size. Right. So your phone runs as slowly as ever, which is exactly the same as adding traffic and having the freeway still be slow. Is it a, is it a component of Moore's law? Is it, uh, uh, as, as capacity doubles, so too does. Uh, <laughs> it should be a corollary to more, more, more slow because, yeah. hey, we've got all this pr- processor power. Let's, hey, let's just do some extra arithmetic. Sure, let's fart it up with a bunch of dumb stuff. My, I, just, I just upgraded my iOS and my phone works 50% worse. Think how the, exactly. Think how, um, it, it's just because programmers had to be more efficient about resources back when they were programming an Activision cartridge. Right. And they knew that if they put an eye on the alligator's head, that was more than the 2K of, of ROM they had. And now the alligators are not allowed to have eyes. Or they had to find some weird workaround to get an eye, but they had to take it from someplace else. Right. Um, and that does not exist anymore. You can make your phone do everything, and now everything's terrible. Thanks, Andrew. That's a great case. The other... Uh, we got a series of notes about... We briefly mentioned what I now know to be called... Traffic signal preemption. Oh, about uh, the the fire engines and the uh, and the flashing lights. The emergency vehicles, various ways they have of of triggering signals so they can get to the fire or the accident faster. So I said that in uh, when I was growing up, it was what I thought was an urban legend where you flashed your brights, your headlights at um, at a light in the middle of the night, and it would change for you. And we had people backing that up. Is that right? We had people saying, yes, it was. There were originally line of sight systems where it was a strobe technology. And so they agree 100% that there were ways to hack it. That's fantastic. Um, it has not been that way for a while because uh, there's better technology now than line of sight stuff. There's infrared. Right. Uh, that was, I think that was the next generation. You could flash an invisible light. So it's like the remote. You don't have to point at anything. Right. And, uh, but it, it does work. It still changes the light. Uh, we heard from a firefighter named Brian who remembers back when his fire trucks first had that they didn't work because they were line of sight. And by the time you were close enough to signal the light, you were under it. If you're in a fire truck going fire truck speeds, you're just, you're going to be running the light. Right. So by the time they turned, you know, they probably pissed off a lot of motorists because by the time they turned the light red, they had been through for five <laughs> seconds and people <laughs> sat waiting for nothing. <laughs> Um, I think today there are different, oh, apparently there were acoustic sensors as well. There were, there was a sound based, there was brown sound that would change a light, green sound. Why not Interesting. call it? I, I should have been flashing my lights and honking my horn. Now there's short range radio systems that again can get around the line of sight problem. And now GPS of course is, oh. is good enough that the signal can just know that there's ambulances coming and it could know probably well in advance. Right. If the system knows, here's this guy, he's putting his destination as this fire. These are the lights that are going to have to change at certain times. 
these systems can now plan ahead. Right. And 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 go through their whole cycle without having any kind of radical like Whoa. Right. You could just sl- slightly shorten a few cycles and and kind of I I don't know if it's that sophisticated oh, would yet that but. traffic planners were thinking that way. <laughs> As we know, that doesn't the lights don't always time out, right? The my favorite interaction we got. Now we mentioned the Katy Freeway uh, outside Houston, right? As an example of some crazy super ultra wide uh, right, that had frontage roads and frontage roads upon frontage roads. Yeah, and apparently there were political reasons I didn't know about. We uh, heard from someone who works for the member of Congress who replaced the former congressman responsible for this boondoggle, the guy who got rid of the rail lines and apparently added new uh-huh. HOV lanes and new frontage roads uh-huh. and... Uh, and they didn't help. You know, light rail through there would have helped. A 26-lane highway just backed up. And he used apparently dastardly Robert Moses-style federal-level shenanigans oh. to do it. Like, he 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 got federal law passed that would not allow for light rail in this part of town just so that he could, you know, get the, get the road layout he wanted. Right. Um, and so our correspondent who does not wish her name to be announced. She's, she's going to go by Aspen, which uh-huh. is her Patreon giving level. Hello, she, she works for the guy that voted this dingbat dingling out. But when her member of Congress inherited that office, she got all the old evil guys furnishings, <laughs> which include, uh, the schematics for the Katy freeway. Really? So she sent us original pictures of sent them an email or to our mailing address. She did, we, we did not get the rolls of, of blueprints <laughs> or whatever, sadly, but th- these beautiful images of, of uh, photographs of uh, schematic layouts for this beltway and all the different full color, you know, orange is the, uh, why do you have red access is to those? And I don't because I am uh, I'm the nice one who checks the email and sends people <laughs> encouraging replies and you can't be bothered. Let me forward this thank to you. you. Thank you. But we'd like to thank our informant on Capitol Hill, Aspen, for sending us these beautiful... And I should ask if we can put this on the Patreon so subscribers can enjoy these images as well. The, the schematic layouts, interestingly, have little... I, I didn't know this happened, but it makes sense. Little miniature placards on them that are the big green highway freeway signs, but shrunk down. Really? So the schematics that show which lanes go where and how wide everything is and where the culvert is and where the pipes are also has full mock-ups of what the signage is going to be where, which is very cool. And it's called the Katy? The K-A-T-Y freeway. I think that I think Katy might be the name of the suburb. Well, what's interesting is that there was a um, there was a railroad back in the day called the Katy, which was the it was like a railroad that went uh, from Missouri to Texas. And uh, went down to Houston, and it's the subject of the song "She Caught the Katy" by Taj Mahal that you hear at the beginning of the Blues Brothers movie. And is it K A T Y? It is. She caught the Katy, left me a mule to ride. Well, now I don't know if the freeway is named after the railroad or if they're both named after the the terminus or whatever. Well, the Katy was called the Katy because it was. Um, from it was Kansas to Texas, KT, and KT was its stock exchange symbol. Oh, that was back Missouri back before Pacific. companies had funny stock exchange 
symbols. But back when people referred to railroads enough that they gave them nicknames. Oh, I'm taking the Katie. This, you know, calling this uh, part of the Houston Beltway the Katie Freeway apparently goes back to the 1960s. So my guess is it it, it is a relic of uh, of people remembering the railroad through the there. The Katie, yeah. Entry 493.2CH0913. Certificate number 2504. It's a short certificate number. Maybe, maybe our earliest. Fort Knox. Now, in the Fort Knox entry, I had the bright idea that we could pay off the national debt just by pulling things out of America's safety deposit boxes. The, the banks right. are just full of... Old jewels. And savings bonds and wristwatches that old people left there and forgot about. Right. And Possibly died. potions, crystal balls. Uh, yeah. Lost spells. A monkey's paw. Mm. So if you could just find one of these, you could make a wish to pay off the deficit and problem solved. An Arabian lamp even. Rub it and Robin Williams comes out. Robin Williams. But we heard from a listener named Adam who works in the banking industry and introduced me to a word I had never seen before, escheatment. Uh, escheatment? Is that... Is that like, is that part of eschatology? Like, uh, <laughs> like you know, the end of the world? The end times. Yeah. Maybe is it, it connected? Comes, it comes from MC Escher, I guess. Uh. It's, the laws are so confusing that they seem circular and up is down. Uh, you know, he's talking about the unclaimed property rules that oh. all states have. Oh, yeah. Whereby, you know, after, if, if, if you don't touch a bank account for a certain number of years, the property is considered abandoned, whether it's, Sitting, you know, virtual money sitting in an account, or whether it's but this is actual something sitting in a box. Well, the achievement is the process by which uh, the bank will remit the funds to the state. Right. The state takes possession if the bank is unable to. They, they do their due diligence, but if they're unable to track down the owner and say, "Why have you not touched your money?" Um, th- apparently, there is a process to get this where it belongs. The United States government. Well, now, this is a thing I've thought about a lot. Ever since I saw the movie The Final Countdown, um, where uh, an aircraft carrier is transported through a time portal back to December 6th, 1941. And it's a it's a contemporary U.S. Navy aircraft carrier, and they a, a, a nuclear powered one, and they was, have to decide. I was just talking to my dad about this movie. Weirdly. You were. Have you done it on Friendly Fire? No. Oh, okay. It's on the list, though. Uh, they have to decide whether or not to uh, to prevent the Japanese from attacking Pearl Harbor. It's a real trolley problem, uh, but not to sp- not to spoil the end. But there if there is a question of what would happen if you. Um, I, I guess it's not related to this. My 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 quiz was: What if I went back in time and was back there somewhere where I could buy IBM stock or something like that? How would I? go to a law firm, set up a bank account where I gave the law firm enough money that they would maintain the bank account, right? That they would maintain the trust. Yes. Such that the trust would be maintained during the period where I went back through time to the future. You're going to disappear. You're going to make this one transaction. Then you're going to be gone. Past John will be gone for a hundred years. Gone for a hundred years. Until present John takes over. I would pick a law firm that existed the whole time. Now, how would I write this 
how would I give the, the, the law firm the instructions that even though no one's going to touch this account for 100 years, it's still live. I want you to continue to maintain it. And, you know, and your legal knowledge is not such that you could future proof everything, right? I mean, right. I mean, you do. You have 100 years of knowledge about what legislative regulatory changes there will be. But you're not an expert. No. And surely there are trusts that have been uh, in place and operating, but disbursing money or people are living off of trusts now that are probably hundreds of years old or at least 150 years old, maybe longer. Who knows what the Rothschilds have going? But uh, but yeah, how would you how does that work? At what point do, do they in cheat your your money? Yeah, and I don't even know if you could override the achievement laws. I mean, I guess you can. You 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 appoint someone to make whatever the least amount of contact with the money is necessary. But a dollar to maintain your ownership. withdrawal of it every 10 years is enough, probably. And you've chosen a law firm that you know will not go out of business, as you've said. You can just pick that one from the end of Back to the Future 2, right. where the guy turns up with, this note's been in our uh, back closet for 86 years. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's doable. We should maybe we, there should be a a master class or a TED talk on this law, time travel law. Time travel law, yeah. Well, maybe our our banking correspondent will, um, assuming that this person is a Patreon subscriber, he could uh, suggest you the means by which you would because yeah. you want to be ready if you get sure. chucked back into the past. That is not the time to start researching. That's right. Twenty first century uh, banking regulations, right? Because every bank in in nineteen ten is going to say we'll survive until two thousand twenty. And you're like, well, 1929. There's a lot coming on, coming up here. The other uh, note we got about Fort Knox, I believe we mentioned the hyperinflation in certain parts of the world, right? Uh, specifically Zimbabwe. Now, Zimbabwe had so much inflation in the what the. 90s and 2010s that there were $100 billion bills and then trillion dollar bills. A lot of countries just get rid of the zeros on the end. Right. But Zimbabwe did not. Uh, but the money is still around. And there, and so we had multiple people sending us, um, let me see, somebody sent us a trillion dollar bill. Uh, sent it to us in the mail? Is this another th- thing where you're skimming it? Just a picture. We got actual Dominican pesos, but multiple people sent us photos of their Zimbabwean money. Somebody sent us a trillion dollar bill, which is as high as it got. Rebecca sent us a $10 billion bill, hmm. which appears to have a stack of rocks on it. And that's the zeros? <laughs> They've run through so many powers of 10 that they didn't think they were going to have to, that they are now out of national heroes or you know different activities they can show Robert Mugabe doing, <laughs> playing badminton. And they're like, check out our, uh, here, our pile of rocks. Here's a rock on top of another rock on top of a third rock, which is what is apparently on the Zimbabwean $10 billion bill. But she told us something interesting. Well, three interesting things that I didn't know about Zimbabwe. First of all, that these bills still exist, but they're not, and they're still legal tender. But the hundred, the main use case for them is uh, tourist souvenirs. Oh, sure. Because they know everybody wants to take home sure, a trillion dollars. Sure, they're worth $10 as a, as a tourist souvenir. Uh, secondly, the de facto currency there is us dollars, but they don't have access to coins. So everything has to be to the nearest dollar. And if you, and if there's ever change, basically you just get a piece of paper being like, and 61 cents because there's no way to ship, you know, vast quantities of us, uh, (laughs) what's the word for metal currency? Uh, coinage. There's this, isn't there a, a fancy word? 
People, uh, numismatical, <laughs> uh, a fancier word, huh? Yeah, I'm sure somebody will send it to us now. Yeah. Uh, and so everybody just keeps these chits showing how much of their dollar they, they underpaid. Uh, and there's a funny money laundering story, which is the U.S. dollars come into the country informally and possibly not legally. Right. So there's not a steady stream of new bills the way we're accustomed to. You know, the U.S. Treasury will pull a warden bill out of circulation. Absolutely. And replace it. But in Zimbabwe, there's a very limited supply. And what that means is they cannot throw away bills. You'd literally be throwing away... Money. Yeah, and sizable amounts of money. It would be like... It would just be like, how do we throw away money in America? Get a drug habit, I guess. Or... Crash your car into a wall. So what they they literally have to launder their money, by which I mean they have to wash it. Really? And hang it out to dry. But doesn't that also sort of uh, gradually tear it apart? You'd have to be very gentle. I mean, U.S. money currency does have a lot of linen in it. Right. So you could put it through a bath in a way that you could not with, uh, you know, a, a post-it or something. Right. It, it doesn't fall apart. But they do regularly have to maintain their money because they don't want to be the, the owner when it you know, falls apart. Right, right, right. Oh, wow. That's so intriguing, right? I mean, it, when we update our currency, there is a, 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 I guess, pretty long period that you can use the old style. Do you remember when $100 bills changed and you would get, in, in instances where you would get several $100 bills, some of them would be the old ones and some of them would be the new ones? And and that's true when five dollar bills, I guess, came in too. It was just it really stood out with hundreds because it seemed like that that they persisted in circulation a lot longer. And there's that funny fact about hundreds, whereby like all of them have some measurable amount of cocaine. <laughs> cocaine, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the other countries have gone. Do you remember when Canada went to that kind of plasticky stuff because yeah. it would be more durable? They thought it'd save money. Yeah. And everyone noticed it smelled like maple syrup. And the Canadian Treasury, whatever, what does Canada have instead of a Treasury? The uh, min- Minister of the Exchequer <laughs> or Minister, Minister General of Loonies and Toonies said, no, it's just you're making it all up in your head. We did not try to make our money smelling like maple syrup. But I feel like nobody even believes it. And everybody's like, yeah, sure you didn't. Right, right, right. So Canadian money now smells like maple syrup. My favorite thing that Rebecca pointed out about her Zimbabwean money, which, by the way, she wanted to send us, but... She only has this one left and is not going to send us $10 billion. Of course. That would be a very good Patreon level. Yes, it would. (laughs) You would would truly be an octopus person then. Uh, She says that her friend got so used to this culture of laundering money that she now finds American money to be filthy. Can you you imagine this country where nobody washes their money? And so she has a a phobia about it and, you know, will take care to use hand sanitizer every time she touches Money. She thinks we should be living the Zimbabwean way, apparently. Yeah, why don't we wash our money? Well, you know, what is the lifespan of a $5 bill? Uh, let's see. Lifespan of a five. I don't think it's very long. Do you think uh, it's longer now that there's less transaction, that money spends more time sitting in places and less time getting handed to a kindly greengrocer? Yeah, maybe. It says here that a $5 bill has a lifespan of five years. And after five years, it uh, it... It gets pulled. It's funny how this changes. Uh, the, the $10 bill lasts a little less, while the 20 lasts a lot more, and the 50 less still. It, it, it appears to bounce back and forth like a wiffle ball, and I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what's leading to that. Yeah, you know, 50s, there are denominations, 50s and 100s, you know, they're used in institutional exchanges a lot, where they, 
and crime. Really, and crime. But they're not in circulation as much. You know, they, yeah, they you, you don't reach into your wallet and pull out unfold 100. a fifty. Yeah. yeah. It's it's much more like uh some some bank needs to needs to give a million dollars to someone else and they and they truck over a stack of hundreds. Did you know there are more hundreds in circulation than ones? What? And it's it's gotta be purely crime. Interesting. Right? Like there's they're all stacked up in uh, yeah, then in bales in briefcases uh-huh. or maybe in the fake ones where most of them are newsprint but the one on top is 100. That's got to be a very popular a popular thing for a criminal to do. Yeah, and I'm sure $100 bills are are ones that are hoarded and um well anybody duck, ducking taxes. I mean, when I say crime, it doesn't have to be organized human crime. trafficking. Right. Like it it could just be some guy paying his employees under the table, somebody paying his suppliers under the table. It's just all Tax dodge. You know, I think the euro had $500. I know it had 500 euro denominations because mm-hmm. I got paid in 500 euro notes a couple of times and was thrilled by it. Yes, we get it, John. I was pretty big deal. You're popular overseas. Um, but it turned out, I think, that um, that they that they realized that 500 euro notes and 1,000 euro notes were being used for crime. And, um, and they decided, wait a minute, what, let's see. Uh, they stopped making them in 2014 and, uh, the, the central banks no longer issue them, but they're still legal tender. So, but I feel like, I feel like they, uh, they were very popular. I loved them, but then, yeah, they were all, um, they were all covered with cocaine and and being used and to blood. and being used to launder money. That's the problem, right? Yeah. If you can, if you have five hundred euro stacks, you can do you can launder money much more efficiently. Because these uh, criminals don't have good upper body strength, right? Like they want their briefcases to be five times lighter, yeah. So they want fewer bills because they just sit around doing cocaine. And that concludes. Omnibus Addenda Volume 4. Futurelings, we thank you for your financial pledges that have made this monumental project possible. We hope that access to these important addenda items has validated your decision to support the Omnibus. It is vitally important that you attach these updates to the original recordings you discovered in their proper context for the convenience of future browsing by your civilization. We hope that our civilization survives long enough for us to provide you with future addenda to the omnibus.